And it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live at Joy 620 or over on the podcast. You can find it at investinghope.com. You can find it over on iTunes or Google Play or Podbeam. Or you can tell uh, you can tell Alexa to play the podcast. You can listen to it that way. You can find it at investinghope.com. All of those places you can listen to the show. We are so grateful uh, for you listening. We are getting ever so close to the end of 2020. And I was talking with, with some staff today about we're, we're looking at, and we're planning for 2021. We're, we're planning for our banquet that sh- should be in April. Uh, if you'll remember, if you can take yourself back to March of this year, we had to change our banquet from in-person to virtual because of the pandemic. That was kind of the beginning of everything. We were one of the first nonprofits to to make the call and go to a, uh, a virtual event. Uh, it was really successful. We, re- we really enjoyed it. Uh, but I thought, you know, okay, by the end of 2020, you know, 2021, the banquet will be back to normal. Well, it's not. And so we're, we're wrestling with what that looks like. What is it going to look like five months from now? So we've had 10 months of the pandemic, 10 months of restrictions, 10 months of uh, virtual stuff. And now we don't know. We don't know what April is going to look like. We don't know what 2021 is going to look like. And so here we are. Here we are in December, getting ever so close to Christmas, getting ever so close to the end of the year. And uh, we're being told by some, don't go have a family Christmas. We were told by some just a few weeks ago, don't go visit your family at Thanksgiving. Don't have any gatherings. Uh, Dr. Burke said that if you if you did have a gathering, just assume you have COVID and you're positive and, uh, and all these things. And I have very strong opinions on all of that that I'm not going to go into <laughs> today because I don't want to go down that uh, rabbit hole. But let's just say that I enjoyed Thanksgiving with my mom, my stepdad, my brother's and my wife, and my kids. Uh, so I, I, that's what I'll say. I'll say that I had a great Thanksgiving, and I enjoyed the time with my family, and I hope you did as well. And so as we're walking through all of this, of course, we had an election, and we talked about that. We're not going to go into that much, but but I do think it's important. If, the, if it continues to go the way it appears that it's gone, Joe Biden is going to be inaugurated in January, and I know that's going to upset some of you that, that I even say that out loud. Uh, but let's just say that's what happens in January. Joe Biden is inaugurated. Well, he's already putting a cabinet together. He's putting some some folks together, uh, working on a transition team and, and folks that are going to be in high up uh, cabinet positions. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what does that mean for life? What does that mean for abortion? What does that mean for pregnancy centers? What does that mean for those of us that, that celebrate life and, and would be anti-abortion. And so today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about one of his appointees that, that he's looking at uh, to head up the Department of Health and Human Services that uh, is certainly uh, pro-abortion and doesn't mind attacking pregnancy centers and has done so in California. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to look at... Uh, Some folks in Washington, Nancy Pelosi and others, are already making plans to uh, do away with the Hyde Amendment. And so the Hyde Amendment, if you'll remember, is uh, is the amendment that 
that allows for taxpayer dollars not to pay for abortion. So uh, the Hyde Amendment that Joe Biden supported for many, many years and apparently does not support any longer uh, would would say that, that taxpayer dollars cannot pay for abortion. Now, if you're like me, you go, well, we give half a billion dollars to Planned Parenthood every year. They provide abortions. So yeah, in a roundabout way, taxpayer dollars are, are providing for abortion. But the Hyde Amendment specifically says that, that it cannot and you have Nancy Pelosi and others seeking to remove and just get rid of the Hyde Amendment. We've already talked about in the past that that this administration, the new administration, uh, will open up and not only pay for abortions in our country with taxpayer dollars, they're going to send funds around the world to pay for abortions uh, around the world. So the Mexico City policy and others. Uh, so so that's where we are. That That's not uh, necessarily a, a happy place to start, but... You know, we, I'm, I'm here not to simply make you happy. I'm here to speak the truth. I'm here to, to kind of open your eyes to some of the things that are going on. But I will, I will say this. A few weeks ago, or maybe, maybe a month and a half ago, I, talk, I came on the air and, and I ended the show that particular day talking about our lab cost and, and, and that, that Hope has had our lab cost taken care of in kind for our entire existence. I mean, since since the beginning of Hope, uh, our lab costs have been taken care of. And so you're asking yourself, what are lab costs? That's just, there's certain services that we provide that we have to send it off to a lab. So whether that be an STD test or a well woman uh, annual exam, there's certain things that we have to do and then send it to a lab to get the results back. So the sending out and the receiving of all of those supplies have, have always been done in kind, and, and we haven't had to pay for that. Well, because of the pandemic, some, some things had to shift, and we got word that we were no longer going to have those services uh, provided at no cost, that they were going to give it to us at a discounted cost, but we would have to pay for those services. And so uh, we did the math, and, and we figured up around $75,000 annually is what we were going to have to come up with. Outside of our, our almost uh, $900,000 budget, we now have to come up with $75,000 on top of that. So that's inching us closer to a million-dollar budget to take care of all the services that we need. So what does that mean? That means that, that now we have to fundraise for $75,000. And so maybe you're, you're new to the show or you're not really familiar with this. Why do we have to fundraise? Well, we have to fundraise because all of our services are free to the patient. And we pride ourselves on that, and we don't want to ever push costs down to the patient. We, we want a patient to come in who is dealing with uh, struggles, and, and they already have enough obstacles in their life. The last thing we want to do is look at them and say, okay, in order to receive that pregnancy test, that ultrasound, that STD test, you're going to have to pay us X. Well, no, we don't want to do that. What we want to happen is when they come into the, to the uh, office there at Hope, we can say, look, the pregnancy test, this ultrasound, the STD test, whatever it may be, is free to you. You don't have to pay anything, and we're going to serve you uh, because we, that's what we've been called to do. And so we provide all of those services at no cost. So now we have to fundraise $75,000. So I talked about it on this show. We then took a clip of this show. We put it online, and we, we made a call and, and an ask to our supporters and said, hey, will you, will you help us meet this need? Now, folks, let me just say, let me just say, I, I then sent out a letter I sent out a letter and I just in the letter was very transparent, very honest, saying, look, we need $75,000. We need $75,000 to take care of and to let us know that, hey, coming up in the new year, we have our, all of our lab costs taken care of. We've already raised that money. 
And, and so I sent a letter out. I talked about it on the show. We, we blogged about it. We talked about it with our supporters. And I will tell you this. So that's been about a month, a month and a half, maybe two months. We have raised in that amount of time right under $80,000. Now, folks, that's amazing. And so I, I tell you that to, to not toot our own horn and say, look how good we are at fundraising. Because we aren't good at fundraising without people giving. And so you answered the call. You stepped up. You wrote the checks. You went to our website. You gave online. You answered that call. And now we have close to $80,000 that have been given, given toward our lab cost. Now, that doesn't mean that it, ha- it, it stops. We Every year... From now on, we need to find that $75,000. So this is a great start. This means that 2021, we are, we're solid. But we, we need to keep the effort going. We need to keep pushing. You need to keep partnering with us. It, it makes a difference. And the return on that investment, I'm telling you, is, is making a difference. We have families that have been transformed. We have women that are making decisions uh, to choose life. We have babies that are getting their first Christmas here in a few weeks. We have We've been around long enough now where we have kids that were, uh, their mom came to Hope are now graduating high school. Think about that. That's the kind of investment that you're making. That's the kind of difference that you're making. And so what that means is, uh, first off, I just wanted to say thank you. That, that I, I don't often get on, on the airwaves and ask for money. That, that makes me uncomfortable, and, and, and that's not why, why I'm here. Now, certainly, we're a nonprofit, just like every nonprofit. I saw somebody post the other day, it was Giving Tuesday, and they said, oh, here's the day, all these nonprofits and ministries all of a sudden remember I'm here, and they asked me for money. Now, I take offense to that. Now, yes, there are some folks that, that all they do is ask for money, and it seems like that's all they ever do is ask you for money, but ministry takes money. It just does. Nonprofits take money. I mean, it, 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 we're not charging anybody uh, a fee. So in order to serve the patients that come through the doors of Hope Resource Center, we have to have partners that support us. We just do. When you go out to that local business, when you go buy that favorite shirt, that favorite shoe, the favorite shoes, whatever brand you support, what are they doing with those funds? They're turning around and they're making their business better, their brand better. You are supporting them. You are giving them money. Now, they're making money, and they're adding jobs, and they're doing this, and they're doing that as well as they should. That's what capitalism is about. But when it comes to the nonprofit sector, when you donate, your return on investment isn't going to be interest rates. Your return on investment doesn't mean that that $1,000 gift is going to turn into a $5,000 reward for you. The return on investment means that a mom is going to receive an ultrasound at no cost. That a first-time mom is going to receive a baby shower at no cost. That a a mom is going to receive parenting education and, and, and someone's going to share the gospel with them at no cost. You see, when you give to a nonprofit like Hope Resource Center, you are taking a step in the direction of serving and loving the image bearers in our community. So we do our best not to ask for money all the time, but the reality is I'm going to have to ask for money. There's just no way of getting around it. And so what we do is we have a banquet in the spring. 
We do a, a small mail piece in the summer. We do our 5K. We do our golf tournament. We do the Battle of the Bottles. And then we do our year end. This year, we just added on the lab letter. But I could spend every week, this hour or so that I have on the air, I could spend that week simply asking you for money. I'm not going to because that's not what I'm here for. We, we believe this is a service. We want you to understand what's going on in our country and around the globe when it comes to life, when it comes to abortion. But every now and then, I'm going to have to ask you to partner with us, to step up with us. And, and I just wanted to say thank you because you answered the call. And we have been blessed to see those funds come in. We've been blessed to know that life is going to be celebrated, that those lab costs are taken care of. Some of you may have, may have received in the last week or so or our year in piece that kind of details uh, the work that we're doing, what, what 2020 looked like. Uh, we tell a story of a mentor and our patient and one of our patients, and that's, been a, that's a great story that you'll get to see uh, in that year-end piece. I'll probably share that with you in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, in the next uh, week or so, you'll be seeing a video uh, recapping 2020, and then uh, at the beginning of the year, you're going to receive, uh, receive, uh, see a video uh, talking about the sanctity of life. I'll be visiting a lot of churches in January. So, so a lot of things happening, and I wanted to spend this first segment simply updating you on where we are and also thanking you for answering the call, stepping up, and making sure those lab costs are taken care of for 2021. And you've done that. And I applaud you, and I thank you. And it's awesome to see so many folks stand up with us and partner with us in this work. When we come back from break, what I'm going to do is talk about uh, some appointees that are coming up, some cabinet officials that Joe Biden is looking to uh, to appoint. Now, of course, they'll have to receive confirmation from the Senate and the Senate's still up in the air, what that's going to look like. We have two big races in the, in the state of Georgia uh, in the coming weeks that, that are important. Uh, but as of right now, it, it's gonna, we're, we're going to see what happens. But, but Biden is already making moves, and I've told you this. I've told you this for the last couple years, that this administration, if they were to win, win the election, would be the most pro-abortion administration the country has ever seen. The Biden-Harris ticket is the most pro-abortion ticket this country has ever seen. And I'll talk more about that when we come back. Did I raise my hands? Bow my head. Finding more and more truth in the words written in red. They tell me that there's more to life than just what I can see. That takes me back to my country radio days right there. It's good old Brooks and Dunn, believe. Uh, here's here's how I would have in, I would have introduced that song coming up. I would have said, let's see, my radio, my country radio days, I would have said, and this is the latest from Brooks and Dunn. It's the going off their latest album. It's called Believe. And folks, that's what we need to do, certainly right here in 2020, is believe. Here you go. Take it away. Kicks, Brooks, Ronnie Dunn. That's good stuff right there. You know yeah, you know, the uh, country radio, I just have a, I just love radio. If you, if you can't tell, that's why I'm on the radio every week. Uh, but, but that is good stuff. What you would do is when you were introducing a song, the goal was to get out of the way off the microphone before the first word came out of the mouth of whoever was singing it. So 
you would you would get to know all these songs and how long the intro was before the first note hit. So uh, so some songs they have a, a large lead up. So you may have thirty seconds to kill before the first note is is sang by that particular singer. So you're talking about the song in the group, and then if you didn't make it out, that means you hit your nose. That means you you ran into the singer, and no radio DJ wants to run into the singer singing the song. So uh, it was good stuff. I, I'll tell you this. My my second child, Summer Paige, uh, she is going to have a career in radio, if radio's still around when she's when she's old enough to, to, to talk about it. And I think it is because still 90-something percent of people just listen to AM and FM on their radio dial. And so we're appreciative of that. And so Summer Page, my daughter, she, whenever a song comes on, I'll quickly go, Summer, who sings it? What's the name of it? And it is amazing. It is absolutely amazing how well she knows her stuff. And also she knows the lyrics. She can sing along with it, especially country music, because that's what gets played in the Woodhouse mostly. Uh, she can sing along with it. So be looking for her, uh, Summer Page. That's even a good radio name. Uh, and so uh, she's going to be great on the air uh, one day. I have no no doubt. Maybe I'll have her on here uh, between now and Christmas, and we'll, we'll give her her, uh, her debut, her national debut. But anyway, let's get back to the topic at hand. Today what we want to do is talk about uh, one of the latest picks by Joe Biden to head up the Department of Human Services, and that pick being California Attorney General Xavier Becerra. Joe Biden's pick to lead the Department of Health and Human Services is no mere supporter of a woman's right to choose. He's an abortion enthusiast, a fanatic, a devotee. This is written. This is an article written over at the National Review. It says, over the course of his decades-long career in public life, Becerra has made it plain that in his ideal America, America, there would be fewer children, more abortion, and pro-life movement muzzled by the state if it, it is his life's work. As a congressman, Becerra received a perfect score from NARAL Pro-Choice America in 2016. So what does that mean? NARAL is one of the most, is, is the most pro-abortion organization in the country, and they gave him a perfect score in 2016. That would be like a conservative candidate getting a perfect score from the NRA. That's, that's what that means. So the most pro-abortion group in the land gave this guy a perfect score in 2016. Among the votes that helped him achieve that score was one against the Conscious Protection Act of 2016, which barred the federal as well as any state or local government from penalizing or discriminating against healthcare providers that do not, quote, perform, refer for, pay for, or otherwise participate in abortion, end quote. Another was his vote against allocating $800,000 toward investigating Planned Parenthood's sale of fetal tissue left over from abortion procedures. This wouldn't be Becerra's latest attempt or last attempt at aiding and abetting the nation's largest abortion provider in the in this matter. In 2012, Becerra even voted against a bill that would have him prohibited would have prohibited abortions performed on the explicit basis of an unborn child's sex. A curious decision by a man who purports to be a stalwart supporter of women's rights and health. Now think about that. In 2012, this man voted against a bill that simply said you are not allowed to have an abortion based on sex. That means, oh, I'm having a boy. Well, I wanted a girl, so I'm going to have an abortion. Or I'm having a girl and I wanted a boy, so I'm going to have an abortion. He voted against that. But yet I'm called extreme when I say pro-life with no restrictions. 
running California's Department of Justice, Becerra compiled an even more frightening record uh, when he... Give me a second. Of course, the, the article updated. Running California's Department of Justice, Becerra compiled an even more frightening record than he did in Washington, D.C., picking up where his predecessor, Kamala Harris, left off. Becerra continued to harangue David DeLayden and Sandra Merritt, the activists responsible for recording and releasing damning evidence of officials at Planned Parenthood boasting about not only selling fetal tissue, but also altering the way abortions were performed so that the tissue would be left better intact and therefore more lucrative on the open market. As John McCormick notes, Becerra even went as far as to file felony charges against DeLayden and Merritt in a move described by the not-so-severely conservative Los Angeles Times editorial board as disturbing and by one far-right agitator at Mother's Jones an effort at chilling a legitimate investigation. While Planned Parenthood vehemently denied the veracity of the videos at the time a claim echoed by Becerra, they have declined to do so under oath in the courtroom. Now, why do you think they've declined to do that? Because the videos were truth. Because the videos were released in their entirety without any editing, and they couldn't fight the truth. Becerra was also the defendant in National Institute of Family and Life Advocates versus Becerra, the Supreme Court case that struck down California's FACT Act, a law that forced pro-life pregnancy centers to provide their patrons with government-drafted documents about how they could procure an abortion. This effort to compel speech directly contrary to these organizations' purpose obviously constituted a First Amendment violation, but Becerra happily enforced it anyway. That, if you'll remember, a few years ago, I went to Washington, D.C. I stood on the steps of the Supreme Court with a number of other folks, and I talked about this. And I stood for the rights of these pregnancy centers in the state of California. And thankfully, the Supreme Court agreed with us, and we won that case. But this is the guy that Joe Biden is tasking with heading up the Department of Health and Human Services. Those included to be charitable toward Becerra might defend his enforcement of the FACT Act by protesting that it was only his job to implement any law passed by the California legislature. But his prior record and pledge not to prosecute abortionists if, if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned suggests that Becerra was motivated not by fidelity to the rule of law, but by partisan animus. Becerra's career portrays not only a religious, worshipful attitude toward abortion, but a vindictive, authoritarian streak that should disqualify him from any position of power. For Becerra, it's not enough that abortion providers be venerated, subsidized, and left unscrutinized. Pro-life advocates must be menaced, bullied, and silenced by the long arm of the state. Indeed, the only good thing that can be said of Biden's picking Becerra to lead the HHS is that he has not been chosen to lead the Justice Department, where Becerra's activist instincts could do even greater harm. Now, why does this matter? This matters because anytime there's a, an appointee or a Supreme Court nominee or any kind of appointee from the right, there's a litmus test. What do they ask them? Where do you stand on Roe v. Wade? Where do you stand on these particular issues? How would you rule on these particular issues? And what they say is, if you are pro-life at all, if your history says at all that you would restrict abortion, they say you're disqualified. So how come when we have somebody like this, we can't all come out and say, hold on, you, you have a history of pushing an abortion agenda, not just Roe v. Wade, but a full-on abortion agenda. 
You have a history of attacking pregnancy centers, nonprofits, religious organizations. You have a history of, of enforcing laws that are harmful, that are unconstitutional. You have a history of voting for pieces of legislation that are nonsensical, that are unconstitutional. Ones that say you are allowed to have an abortion based on the sex of the child. Now think about how crazy this is. And let's, let's park there for a second. The, the law that says, the law that says you can have an abortion based on the sex of your child is being presented by the same people that says a man can be a man and a female and a, and a woman can be a, or a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. Those are the same people that then would say that, that you can, if you're having a boy, abort that boy because you wanted a girl or vice versa. None of it makes sense. But yet that's where we are. I told you, Biden and Harris were going to be the most pro-abortion ticket ever. And they're already proving that to be, and we're not even to Inauguration Day. We'll talk more when we come back. <laughs> Mary Morris, my church. I, you know, look, country music is in my veins. It really is. And uh, radioing is, is in my veins. I even find myself at times listening to the radio driving down the road, and, and I introduce songs because that's just how I'm built. And so uh, good stuff. One day, maybe uh, maybe Joy 620 will allow me. Maybe we'll, they'll have a, a part, a sister station where we play music, and they'll let me be the uh, the radio DJ. That would be a lot of fun. And I'm just going to, not to toot my own horn, but around Christmas time, it would be a ton of fun because there's a lot of options out there. Uh, and so uh, send a petition in that, that they should allow me to do that. Uh, that would be great uh, for sure. We would, we would have fun with it. Uh, so, so today, as we continue our conversations, uh, we, we need to be thinking about uh, what's going on. And, and What's going on with the new appointees? What's going on with abortion and life? And, and how we can get to a place where we, uh, we understand that, that life should be celebrated, that, that life is valuable, and, and that it should be said, uh, we should understand that. And that it does matter. It does matter who, who gets appointed. It does matter who heads up these, uh, these top-tier positions. It does matter who, he who heads up uh, health and human services. It does matter who's in the Oval Office. All those things matter. Look, we don't put our hope in those things. They're not the be-all, end-all, but they certainly matter. They have value. It, it makes a difference in, in terms of the laws that we see. It makes a difference in terms of uh, the direction that we go. And, and, and so I, I want us to understand that as we as we look at what's happening around our country and and so there's a um there's an there's an interesting article that that i found that uh we have a number of folks in washington currently that are looking to get rid of uh get rid of the the Hyde amendment now why does that matter it's important that, that we look at that because um 
we, we want to make sure that taxpayer dollars are not paying for abortion, right? We, we, don't want, uh, we don't want our money, our tax dollars, to pay for abortion. It's really that simple. And, and so this has been talked about since August, really. I mean, it's been talked about for a while. Hey, if, if Trump loses, these are the things that we want to do. So uh, as you know, there's, there's some folks in Washington that are pro-abortion. They're not simply pro-choice. They're pro Abortion is so uh, for more than 40 years, Democrats and Republicans have stuck to a compromise on abortion. No government money would be used to pay for ending pregnancies. Now, now think about that. Joe Biden has been part of that. He has said multiple times. We have him on record saying multiple times. Uh, he, he has said personally, I'm pro-life because my Catholic faith requires that. But politically, I, I believe it's a choice left up to the woman. And then he goes as far as saying, but I think there needs to be restrictions. And also taxpayer dollars do not need to fund abortion. So, so for the longest time, he's been called a moderate. Well, guess what? During the election, he completely flipped. He is no moderate. I've been telling you this. I've been screaming it from the rooftops uh, for years now. And now we are seeing that all play out. And now we even have top House Democrats say they plan to challenge that status quo. Beginning in 2021, Democratic leaders in the House no longer will back the annual move to put the prohibition into law. They told a small group of House Democrats that the move could spark a major fight over abortion and its intersection with race and class discrimination. If successful, ending the ban known as the Hyde Amendment would mark one of the most significant changes in abortion policy in decades. Now, now, Barbara Lee, Representative Barbara Lee from Oakland, says it's an issue of racial justice, and it's an issue of discrimination against low-income women, women of color, women who don't have access to what middle- and upper-income women have in terms of the choice to have an abortion. Now, that's not true. Uh, not true at all, actually. Uh, but yet, she's able to say that and is quoted as a credible source. The plan to oppose the restriction on government money reflects the dramatic and widespread reversal of opinion on the subject that Democrats have undergone in the last five years. What was once viewed as an acceptable compromise is now widely seen among Democrats as a prime example of systemic racism that unfairly hurts poor women and women of color by banning abortion in most cases for Medicaid patients. Now think about this. They are saying this is a race issue. They are saying this is a uh, systemic racism issue that only hurts people of color and poor women. You know what also hurts those demographics, broken marriages, absent fathers, and abortion. You see, but nobody wants to talk about that. Abortion hurts. You know why? Because there's less births. That means there, there's less of a particular demographic. That means Every year, there's less white babies, there's less black babies, there's less Asian babies, there's less Korean babies, there's less fill-in-the-blank because of abortion. And so we've got this mindset now that we need to be allowed to end the life of a baby in the womb. And not only do we need to be allowed, but, but everyone should pay for it. No, no, we shouldn't. We really shouldn't. Representative Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut, who leads the subcommittee that funds federal health programs and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, told a small group of lawmakers last month that they would not add the prohibition to any government funding bill beginning next year. 
according to Lee and Representative Dine DeGette of Colorado, who co-chair the House Pro-Choice Caucus. That should be called the Pro-Abortion Caucus, uh, but I digress. Pelosi spokesman Drew Hamill did not comment on the remark. When asked about the prospects for next year, he said the House will work its will. DeLauro considered removing the ban from a spending bill this year, but the move was considered futile as Republicans hold the Senate and White House. Although this year's bill includes it, let me be clear. We will fight to remove the Hyde Amendment to ensure that women of color and all women have access to the reproductive health they deserve. This is what uh, that congresswoman had to say. A move to end the ban on federal funds for abortion would face significant challenges. House Democrats don't yet have the votes to do so. And it is likely to run into a strong opposition in the Senate, even if Democrats control the chamber uh, coming up in January. Abortion rights supporters most certainly won't have the 60 votes currently needed to overcome a filibuster. DeGette, who asked House Democrats this summer where they stand on the issue, said her side has more than 200 votes but remains short of the 218 required to pass legislation. She expects Democrats will have 218 by next year. With the growing abortion rights majority in the House and support of Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, uh, he reversed his decades-long support of the ban last year amid intense pressure from abortion rights groups. Democrats feel that the time is right to try. Abortion right groups say they will keep pressure on a Biden administration and congressional Democrats to follow through. Uh, this policy was first adopted in 1976, shortly after the Supreme Court Roe v. Wade decision when former Representative Henry Hyde of Illinois wrote the amendment banning taxpayer money from being used to pay for uh, most abortions under Medicaid. The policy was attached to a bill to fund the government. The ban has been renewed annually ever since and covers all federal health care programs. Several states, including California, have adopted laws that allow state money to be used to pay for abortions for low-income women. Republicans strongly support the ban and ever since it was first adopted have since insisted on its inclusion in any bill that funds the government. They and anti-abortion groups would put it a significant challenge to ending it. You know, I'm not going to continue reading the article. Because when they talk about those that are for abortion, they call them pro-choice. When they talk about those that are against abortion, they call them anti-abortion. Not pro-life, anti-abortion. Why do they do that? They do that because they want to control the language. They do that because they, they know that when they say anti-abortion, it creates this sense of anger amongst some of the populace. And when they say pro-choice, it creates a sense of, oh, that's, that's nice. Aren't we all pro-choice? You see, language matters. I don't mind being called anti-abortion, because guess what? I am anti-abortion. But let's be honest. These folks are pro-abortion, period. You see, they're not arguing, hey, we need to make sure that, that women, when their life is on the line and, and when their life is at stake, can, can get their abortion paid for. Now, I don't agree with that. But they're not making that argument. They're making the argument, if anybody needs an abortion for any reason, at any point in the pregnancy, they should be able to get it for free. And it's not free. It's going to be your tax dollars. And when this is put out to the public, when this is polled, the public says, hold on, I don't want to pay for abortion. Most of the, there's, you know, where you go back and forth, pro-life, pro-choice, but there's a large group of the populace that's going, look, if you want to get an abortion, that's fine, but I don't want to pay for it. I mean, that, that's right. That's going to be most people. Most people, even if they're okay with abortion, are going to go, I don't want to pay for it. I don't want to have that on me. And so here we are. This is what I've been trying to prepare you for. For months. Years. 
And so we're about to enter that in January. We'll see what happens. Again, our hope isn't in who has the White House. Our hope isn't in who, who uh, leads the Senate or the House or the Supreme Court. But these things do matter. Be engaged. Be in the know. And stand up. We'll talk more when we come back. Let the magic warm the moonlit air. Hear the choirs join in singing everywhere. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you haven't gotten Carrie Underwood's latest Christmas album, I don't know what you're waiting on. It is so good. And that's uh, one of the newest releases there with John Legend. It's called Hallelujah. And my goodness, it makes you say hallelujah. It's a great song. They have a new video out. You can go watch that on YouTube as well. But uh, very, very good. Uh, the, the whole album is, is good. There's a couple new songs like that one with John Legend. and then, But most of it is just traditional Christmas songs, songs that you've heard uh, your whole life, and uh, Carrie sings uh, like a heavenly angel. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, I anticipate when we're in heaven that the angels sound like Carrie Underwood. Uh, her voice is insane, and uh, and so highly recommend it. Speaking of of angels, Dolly Parton, uh, who is a living angel uh, that that comes from the state of Tennessee. She did uh, a show on CBS the other night. She took over CBS for an hour, and she's got a new album out. L- listen, all this information you're learning today is, is amazing. She's got a new album out called A Holly Dolly Christmas, which is very clever. And so she sang, I think, pretty much every song on the album the other night on CBS. And it was great. It was really good. And the interesting thing about Dolly, that she can get away with things that a lot of folks can't get away with. And she doesn't get canceled. She spent that whole hour pointing people to Jesus, sharing the gospel. In between songs, she was talking and she was explaining why these songs matter to her and uh, the birth of Christ and why that matters and the hope that we have in our God. And uh, she had choirs singing with her. I mean, and no negative press. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so uh, another great album I would recommend is, is Holly Dolly Christmas. Also, if you go way back, uh, you can get the Dolly Kenny Christmas album, which is so good, and uh, and so yeah, a lot a lot of good stuff. If you're if you're into Christmas music, there's a lot of great options, even newer options. So, so for a while, we had to just always listen to the greats like Andy Williams or Bing Crosby or Frank, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. We had to kind of Perry Cuomo. You had to go way back, Perry Cuomo, I guess. You had to go way back to to get good Christmas music. But now, man, there's just folks putting them out. So you have uh, some some uh, outliers that you may not be familiar with is uh, Chris Young has a great Christmas album. He's a country singer. Uh, Brett Eldridge, it's he has an amazing. He's a country singer, but you're going to think you're listening to a a modern version of Harry Connick Jr., a modern version of Frank Sinatra. Uh, so Brett Eldridge's Christmas album is called Glow. Very very good. Um, Harry Connick Jr., great Christmas album. Uh, of course, one that I've been playing as of late, and actually I changed the. Uh, I change, depending on the season and the time of year, my alarm every single morning is a is a song. And, of course, right now it's a Christmas song, and it's by Alabama. And uh, their Christmas album from back in the 90s, maybe even the 80s, I'm not sure, but it is so good. And so highly recommend that one. Uh, again, Carrie Underwood's latest uh, Christmas album is very good. There's just a lot out there. 
And here's one that you probably didn't think I was going to name. The Jonas Brothers. Pretty good Christmas album, you know? And so uh, there's so many Christmas albums out there that you need to add to your playlist. You have plenty of time. Add it, listen to one a day between now and Christmas, and I'll do my best to put some some good ones out there. Oak Ridge Boys, they have a great one. Uh, I could go, I could literally spend hours telling you which Christmas albums to listen to. I'm not going to. Uh, maybe I'll do that next week, and we'll just do the whole show talking about Christmas albums. Uh, but but I highly recommend you you getting into that. You know, somebody texted me earlier today and they said, "Hey, have you listened to?" And and it's a talk radio guy that we listen to a lot. Uh, and I said, no, I, I really haven't. I've kind of stepped away from some of the politics that I listen to. Uh, and, and I filled it with, of course, Joy 620 and Christmas music. And so that's, that's where I'm at. So hopefully today was productive. Hopefully it was fruitful. Hopefully you will listen to this and, and learn something, walk away with something. Uh, maybe there was something you didn't know, you weren't aware of that now you're aware of. Uh, but all that to say, thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for standing with us. Thank you for caring about life. Thank you for understanding that uh, life has value and matters. And now enjoy as we end the show with the voice of an angel. We'll talk to you next week. Let's hold on to hope and on the coldest evening in this Church back.